0: I want you to think this morning about the most incredible experience you've ever had in your life. A life-changing moment, a life-transforming event. Maybe it was something unexpected, it could have been something that you spent years planning for. The most incredible moment of your life, think about it. For some, maybe it was the first time you saw Cinderella's Castle at Disney World. Maybe it was the first time you saw that green grass at a Mud Hens game or at a Major League game. That was was definitely, maybe not the highlight of my life, but one of those special moments. For some, it was maybe your wedding day or the birth of a child. The amazement, the wonder that took place. Last Sunday, we looked at what may have been the prophet Isaiah's most incredible moment. It says in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, as if that weren't enough, just seeing these angelic creatures with all these wings and eyes. And then the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And he said, woe to me, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. To be in God's presence was the most incredible moment of the prophet Isaiah's life. He was wrecked by it. And in fact, any of us would be wrecked as well. Certainly without the cross and the empty tomb, certainly without the blood of Jesus, certainly without the sacrifice, none of us would stand a chance in the presence of a holy God. He calls us to be holy too, something that's not made possible by our goodness, but Jesus' amazing grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today we're going to conclude our mini series on the book of Exodus Journey to Freedom. We're talking about the glory of God's presence. We mentioned it earlier as we were singing and, and worshiping, but but I want you to just think about this one simple question this morning. Where is God? Where is God? We saw in Exodus 3, Moses saw a burning bush and was told to take off his sandals, for he was standing on holy ground. It was a special time, it was a special place. The experiences of both Isaiah and Moses teach us that God's presence is truly awesome. And we're in it right now. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, thank you for your presence, thank you for your power. Thank you that as we draw near to you, you promise to draw near to us. We've already acknowledged, but we say again, we need you, we love you, we worship you, we praise you, we adore you, for you are God and we are not. We are fully dependent on you. We are but dust. We're frequently reminded, Lord, how frail and weak we are, how fragile life is. And yet you rule and reign forever and ever. So we give you our attention now. We give you our worship now. Meet with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So where is God? Where is God? I think for, since the beginning of time, people have been asking that question. They've been wrestling with that question. They've at times been ignoring the question. Where is God? In a word, we say God is everywhere. And the fancy word for that is, help me out, people, omnipresent, right? Omni means everywhere, present, omnipresent. We haven't talked about God, the three omnis of God. He's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere, and he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Where is God? He's omnipresent. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God appears in the very first book of the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He created all, he made it all. Now we understand the earth. We 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 get that God created the the earth and he made the earth the heavens it's it's a little more fuzzy like it's more than just the sky. It's that place far far away. But then Jesus says to pray for God and his presence for heaven to kiss earth. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven those those beautiful moments where we get a glimpse of heaven, which really is where God is. The scriptures describe God in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve walking closely until the fall, until their disobedience. And then all of a sudden, God's presence, his intimate relationship with humankind had a wedge, had a barrier, had a canyon between it that we call sin. Later, he speaks to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and then to Moses, and the presence of God shows up, shows up on the scene. God speaks, and we see over and over how God wants a relationship. He wants to be with us, and the scene in Exodus, it's it's so powerful. Our our passage for today, we're going to be looking at in Exodus 40. If you want to turn your Bibles to Exodus 40, we're going to be looking at that in a moment. But this journey that we call the Exodus, it was during these 40 years in, of the wandering, God called these people. He said to Moses, I want you to take my people who are in slavery and I want you to lead them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage to the promised land, the place we call Israel today. He says, It's a, it's a short journey. I want you to take them and lead them. And it should have been short, it should have been quick, it should have been relatively easy. Except they whined and complained and did the same kind of stuff that we do all the time. And God said, we'll take a little detour. So it took 40 years. Family, it doesn't take 40 years to walk from Egypt to Israel. It's not that far. But that was the journey that they took. And during their journey, something really, really unusual took place. They were led by God. In fact, for years, God's presence, it was confined to a tabernacle. So God meets with Moses and says, I want you to, I want you to, to lead the people, and he gives them the Ten Commandments later, go through this whole scene. But throughout the book of Exodus, God's presence, where is God? It was usually confined to the tabernacle. Now we say God is everywhere, but his manifest presence, just this sense of awe and wonder, this like, whoa, you know he's there, took place in the tabernacle. And Exodus 40 gives a real detailed account of of what this whole scene was about. Because it was a tabernacle, it was a temporary shelter. It moved from time to time, as you'll see at the the end of this chapter. And we don't have time to go through every single verse. It's a a fascinating study, but I just want to kind of guide you through so you get the big idea of Exodus 40. The Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. So in our calendar, that would be January 1st, but it was a different calendar, a different day, and there was no snow, so you don't have to worry about that. Place the Ark of the Covenant law in it and shield the Ark with the curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring the lampstand and set up its lamps. So it's more than just a tent. There are things in the tent. There are specifications to the tent, how it's to be set up, where it's to be set up, what things go inside it. How many of you have been camping, just out of curiosity, in a tent? I'm, I'm not talking an RV with air conditioning. I mean, real camping, right? How many of you really like to camp? I mean, you, okay. My friend says camping mocks the homeless. I, I don't know about that, but uh, think about that one. Uh, but, but, but camping, we, we've done a lot of camping as a family. We have, we have a tent, and, and every time we've gone camping, there's, there's a certain way we like to set up the tent. And we have to pack certain things, and we usually forget the ground cloth, which is not a good thing. Uh, but we, you know, we ha- we pack the ground cloth and and the, the basin for the for the different dishes and and f- we wood for the fire. Except we're not supposed to transport wood anymore. Usually buy the you know, we set up camp. Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you have a if you have an RV, sorry, you've missed out on all the joy that we've experienced of roughing it. But there's something about, about a tent. And, and I was in Boy Scouts, and we, we did a lot of tent camping. And even one time, we had to build our own lean-to and kind of sleep in our own homemade shelter, handmade shelter. That was an experience. Actually, making dinner with a pound of hamburger was an experience, but that's another story. There's something about when you set up camp. And in the tabernacle in Exodus 40, God gives all these instructions about what it's like to set up the the tent to set up camp. So we have all these instructions. verse 12, he says, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of of meeting and wash them with water and then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as priest. Bring his sons and and dress them in his tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so they may serve as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood and that will continue through their generations. And then this is maybe the most important thing. So we have instructions about all this equipment and the tent, and then he says, Aaron and his sons, they're gonna be the priests, and they have to dress a certain way and go through these rituals and prepare, because this is a sacred space. This is where God's presence is gonna dwell. In verse 16, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. If you want a simple verse to memorize this week, a great verse to memorize, memorize this verse. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. Can that be said of you? I think maybe if, if I could insert my name into one place in the Bible, not because it's real, but, but my desire, my heart's desire, is that I would do everything just as the Lord commanded me. Most often I do some things as God commanded me and other things the way that I want them to be done. But Moses took these instructions, and they were very detailed instructions. Some of you are, are detailed people. I mean, you just you love the, 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 the real nitty-gritty details. And I want to say the Bible's got some great stuff for you. Read Exodus 40. Again, we don't have time to go through it all, but there are some nitty-gritty details. And Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded. Now, it makes sense, because this is the place where God is going to dwell, and if you were to prepare a place for someone special, you would probably be pretty careful about it. If you knew, for instance, that the, the mayor, or the governor, or the president, or, or some rock star or athlete, or someone that would be really impressive to you, if you knew, knew they were coming over this afternoon, you'd probably get up right now and rush home, and start cleaning, and putting stuff away, and making preparations. Someone special's coming, someone special's coming. We have to get ready for their arrival. This is what Moses was doing with the presence of God. God's presence was far greater than any human. was going to dwell in this special place, and so all the preparations had to be made. It was a lot of work. God told Moses how to prepare a special place, a special house for his glory. Verse 28, then he put up the curtain at the entrance of the temple, and this is really important, this curtain. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered it on the burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. If you didn't know, one of the features of the people of Israel, one of the the, the features of pretty much the Old Testament, is that before Jesus, before the blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, before his resurrection from the dead, the way that they would atone for sins, the way that they would try to deal with their sins. They recognized that, that they had disobeyed God, they had rebelled against God, and they would offer sacrifices. Animal sacrifices, a whole lot of them. So there were instructions there of how to do all these sacrifices. And if you're like, why were they killing animals for the sake of... Well, that's for another day. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. So they're getting ready as well. They get the house ready, they get ready. I mean, can you imagine getting your house all ready, but you know, you, you, your clothes are all matted up and you know, there's dirt all over and you're filled, like You want to kind of clean up. "'They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting "'or approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. "'And then Moses set up the courtyard "'around the tabernacle and altar "'and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. "'And so Moses finished the work.'" Now get this. How do you know that God is everywhere? We said that, that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent, so he's He's everywhere. How do you know when you've actually met with God? Sometimes there are signs. In this case, there were clear signs because it says the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. Say that with me the glory of the Lord. It filled the tabernacle. Have you ever experienced the glory of the Lord? I bet some of you have. Those moments where you just, you recognize that God is present in a unique way. You know, sometimes I listen to people pray and they're like, God, dear God, would you meet with us? You know, and God's like, mm, I don't know. Maybe. And God's like, I'm already with you. I, I, I promise to be with you always to the very end of the age. We're promised in scripture that he will never leave us or forsake us. And so where is God? He's always with us but sometimes we acknowledge it, sometimes we don't. The cloud gave great indication to the people that God's tangible presence, the glory of his presence was there. In fact, it says, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I can't imagine the experience of this tent and the glory of the Lord this, this cloud and knowing that the Almighty is right in your midst. Wow. Now the tabernacle, as I said, it was portable. So they had to pick it up from time to time. And it says, in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day that it lifted. So the cloud would just hang for a certain amount of time. And then when it was time for them to go, The cloud would start moving. And Moses and his his friends, his family, the people would be like, hey guys, we we need to start tearing down because the cloud's moving. We want to follow the cloud. We want to follow the presence of God. We don't want God to pass us by. We want to dwell with him. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night. Did you ever notice that it says the fire was in the cloud. Some you, I think about, well, in the day it was a cloud, and the night it was fire. Exodus 40, 38 says, the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. Imagine a visual indicator that God is with you. Now, the writer of Hebrews goes into some details about the tabernacle, and he says, A tabernacle was set up, and in its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. And again, Exodus 40 gives some details about that. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold covered ark of the covenant. If you've ever seen, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know about the Ark of the Covenant or some, some variation perhaps of the Ark of the Covenant. But, but this amazing box that contained manna and it contained Ten Commandments and it was a very, very special, sacred box. This Ark, uh, and a gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff, stone tablets. And a few verses later, we're told, only the high priest entered into the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So you've got this tabernacle. Only the priest can go into this very, very special place. Eventually, Joshua led the people into the promised land in what we now call Israel. And generations later, God's presence was moved to the temple. The temple became a permanent version of the tabernacle. I'm sure they were relieved at that opportunity to have a permanent place to worship. For many, many years, uh, my wife and I, we were, a, a, well, we've been actually a part of a couple different churches that were, we call them portable churches. Uh, we met in a movie theater, we met in a school. Met in in various places. And each week, we'd have to set up all the equipment and tear down and set up and tear down and set up and tear down. And then we came to a church like this where it's just here. It's so nice. It's so wonderful to, to show up to a permanent place. Some of you, you've gone from maybe renting a house to owning a house. There's a sense of permanence Some of you, I know you've experienced various degrees of homelessness, and when you get a key to an apartment or a place, there's something beautiful about something that's more permanent. God's presence was moved to the temple. King David, he assembled all the tools, all the, the equipment, all the materials needed to build the temple. But it was his son Solomon that led to the construction of the temple. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he extended gold chains and across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. I wasn't around when this building was built. I'm so grateful for it. I think it's a beautiful structure. It's just missing one thing. Gold. Where's the gold? It should be be covered with... I'm kidding, of course. But, But think about how amazing it would be to enter a building that was just covered in pure gold. This was a special, special place. At the dedication of both the tabernacle and the temple, God's glory appeared in a powerful way, demonstrating his presence, letting everybody around know that God's presence was here in this holy and sacred place. Last month, we talked a bit about the temple and how it was the center of Jewish life. It was one of the the wonders of the ancient world. It was a structure with a variety of designated areas, including the most holy place. And despite its grandeur and its beauty, it was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans, just as Jesus had predicted that it would take place. I'm sure for the Jews, it must have been a disorienting time to think that the the temple, the place where God dwells, is suddenly destroyed. So where does that leave us? Where is God now? Where can we find God if the temple, the the most holy place, is gone? Well, actually, a few years earlier, on a day we call Good Friday, you might say that God's presence, that God left the building. And it occurred as Jesus breathed his last, one of the most astonishing passages of the entire Bible is found in the book of Matthew. As Matthew accounts, Holy Week It says, when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That means Jesus died. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This huge curtain that separated the presence of God, the glory of God from the people, it was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. That's quite a scene. But it gets better. It says, They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. That's an incredible experience to witness. Even if it would scare the stuffing out of me. I mean, can you imagine? You know, you're walking down the street and it's like, Grandma! There was power in the name of Jesus. And there was power at the the death of Jesus. And there was great power at the resurrection of Jesus, as it says. But it was at that moment, Good Friday, when Jesus died, the the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Jesus said, it is finished. And that is great news for us, family. Great news for us. God's presence was unleashed on Good Friday. And it was unleashed as well at Pentecost, which we celebrated a few few weeks ago. That we read about in Acts chapter 2. The, the movement of God, the power of God. Jesus had predicted and he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Where is God? God was in a tabernacle. Then he was in a temple. He was hiding behind a curtain. The curtain was ripped open. And then you might say that God became distributed by the Holy Spirit to every follower of Jesus. Paul told the church in Colossae, To them God is chosen to make known among the Gentiles as well as the Jews, the glorious riches of this message, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where is Christ today? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's also in you if you're a follower of His. I don't understand that. I can't explain it, but I can tell you it's one of the most incredible realities. That Christ is in us, that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. Where is God? right here living inside of us are you aware of that do you acknowledge that we are the temples of god paul said to the church in corinth do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit who is in you whom you've received from god you are not your own You were bought at a price. Therefore, he says, honor God with your bodies. We talk about this a lot. The importance of honoring God with our bodies, with what we put into our bodies, with what we do with our bodies, with what comes out of our mouths, with our sexuality, with, with our hands and the things that we do constructively or destructively. If you're a follower of Jesus, your body is not your own. In a world where we talk about my rights, my rights, my rights. Or I feel, I feel, I feel. I mean, it's fine. You can feel all you want to. But if you're a follower of Christ, you've set aside that. You've given that up. To call Jesus Lord means your body is his. Your hands are his. Your heart is his. You are the temple of God. God dwells within you and you would not want God entering or I should say God does not want to enter a dirty, messed up temple. I often think about going to, the, to, to grab, actually just this morning, I, w- I went to, to grab a mug to make tea for my wife and, and I was about to pour the tea in and I realized the dishwasher somehow failed a little bit to get the stuff at the bottom. I said, there's no way I'm, I'm putting tea in this and giving it to my wife. You're welcome, babe. Uh, so I, I put it away and I grabbed a, a, new, a new mug and I, I started pouring it. I gave her a clean mug. And I wonder what God thinks when he wants to do something special. When he wants to, to use a human being, when he wants to maybe perform a miracle or, or bring healing to a situation. I'm not saying that we have to be perfect and only perfect people get a touch of God because none of us are perfect. We know that. But I just wonder, do you recognize, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, we're glad you're here. Check it out. Jesus is amazing. But if you're, if you're truly a follower of Jesus this morning, just think about where God dwells. He dwells inside of us. And are you making a good home for him? Are you preparing a good home for him? Do you acknowledge that he's here? I know sometimes it's easy to forget. There are, there are so many things that we can't see and we forget. Like right now in this very room, and if you're, if you're online, wherever you are as well, there are these, we, in our presence are things we can't see, like radio waves, television waves, Wi-Fi. They're real. They're, they're very, very powerful. And if, if you're able to have the right receiver, the right device, if you acknowledge that, suddenly you can, you can see things. You can hear things. Things that otherwise are invisible to people. God's presence is invisible to most people. They don't acknowledge it. They don't maybe even know it. But it doesn't mean God's not there. God's not real. He longs for us to welcome him, to acknowledge him in his presence. I have to be honest, I can understand God showing up in the garden to hang out with Adam and Eve before the fall. I can understand a holy God in a sacred tabernacle or a sacred temple. But I find it nearly impossible to God about this idea of God dwelling and living inside of me, living in me to make my body his temple. Of course, this doesn't mean that I'm a, I am a God. You and I, we're not gods. But that God would choose to dwell in us. He would choose to spend time with us. What a remarkable thing. Are you taking advantage of this reality? Are you inviting the presence of God into your lives? Or are you just ignoring him? I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, if, if some famous person came to my house, I wouldn't want to ignore them. In fact, if anyone comes to my house, I don't want to ignore them. I want to acknowledge them, welcome them, extend hospitality. But imagine Almighty God walking into your house. If Jesus came to your house, your car, your, your apartment, your room today, would you just ignore him? I'm going to close with two quick thoughts. First, God's presence doesn't mean we will never suffer but it does mean that we're never alone. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when we're suffering? Pastor Kirk, if, if God is everywhere and he's living inside of me, then why am I going through all this pain and suffering? Where is God when it hurts? He's with you. Romans 8 tells us, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. The book of Hebrews tells us this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God is with you. Okay, but if God is with me, why am I suffering? I can only say this, when we hurt, God hurts. He's with us. He suffers with us. I know people love to just blame God for all their problems. Some are self-inflicted. Some are inflicted by the sins of others. But it's not God's design for us to suffer. It's just a natural consequence of sin in our world. He has a habit, though, of redeeming sin. He has a habit of redeeming brokenness and pain and suffering. Your story's not over. Perhaps soon you'll understand what you're going through and why you're going through it. I have many, many stories of weeks and months and years of pain and agony that now I look back and I can begin to understand how God's used that pain and suffering to shape me. Some things I still don't understand. I found this paragraph at gotquestions.org this week, and I wanted to just share it with you. I thought it was pretty interesting. It says, our lives are like a quilt if you look at the backside of a quilt, all you see is a mess of knots and loose ends hanging out all over. It's very unattractive, and there seems to be no rhyme or reason to the work. And yet when you turn the quilt over, you see how the maker is craftedly woven together each strand to form a beautiful creation, much like the life of a believer. It continues to say, We live with a limited understanding of the things of God. Yet a day is coming when we will know and understand all things. Where is God when it hurts? The message to take with you in hard times is that when you cannot see his hand, trust his heart and know for certain that he has not forsaken you. When you seem to have no strength of your own, that is when you must fully rest in his presence and know that his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Family, be comforted to know that God is with you. He lives inside of you. He dwells in you if you make room, if you make space for him. He's not left you. He's not abandoned you. And nobody knows pain like Jesus. Nobody knows pain like Jesus. If you don't believe me, go re-watch The Passion of the Christ or watch it for the first time if you've never seen it. Nobody knows pain like Jesus. And finally, someday we'll experience God's presence in unimaginable ways. 1 Corinthians says, we do not speak a message of wisdom among the mature. Or we do, sorry, we do speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that's been hidden and that God-destined For our glory before time began, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, I will get this out yet, family, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. One day, we will see God face to face. One day, there will be no more suffering, no more tears, no more death, no more disease, no more viruses, no more crying. One day, we will experience the full glory of God's presence forever. In the meantime... Let's enjoy every moment when heaven kisses earth, where we get a glimpse of God's glory, God's manifest presence. Let's welcome him and invite